0: I pray that you come expectantly today, and I pray that as we read this passage that it won't be just another day in the book of John, because this is a book I'm sure you've read before, and uh, this is a passage that means a lot to me uh, because it talks about calling. But I want to encourage you as we talk today about the calling of the disciples, don't think this is just a passage for preachers, okay? And I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, How how does one explain a calling how do you explain something that you're called to? I hear that word used frequently among my friends and colleagues, uh, especially those that are in vocational ministry. And I have often heard said or experienced even this phrase that says, make sure you are called to ministry because there are moments where the call will be the only thing that keeps you in it. Basically, what they're trying to say is, is that if you can do anything else and be happy, then do that thing. But if you cannot and you truly feel God's call upon your life, then you follow and surrender to that call. And that's what I've told people that were praying about the ministry. That's what I've been told. But I want to encourage you today that this calling is just not... For someone who wants to be a pastor, or a worship leader, or a, a youth pastor, or an education pastor, or work with children on a staff. This is not just for professional church people. This is for one, Because the call to serve Jesus is universal. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord has been called. And we're going to flesh that out. Today, because calling is more than a commitment to an occupation or a duty. I mean, think about this. Doctors, yes, they'll make money, but think of the expenses and the education that it took them to get there. They have a calling to save people. Our emergency workers, like our police and our fire and our EMS, they're not going to get rich doing that job. Many of them have to hold a second part-time job down just to do what they love to do. And you ask them, why do you do it? Why do you run in to where other people's run out of? Why why do you work hard to save other people? And it's because they'll tell you, because I'm called to do it. Yes, part of that is being an adrenaline junkie, but, but if it was just adrenaline, it would pass after a while. They do that because they're called to it. People in ministry do that because they're called to it. Maybe people that are are working on the floor of a shop or a textile mill or a fabrication business. Why do they do that? Yes, they're trying to make money and make a living. But after you put the same lug nuts on the same tire for 20 years, it begins to lose its luster, does it not? And sometimes you, you work to pay the bills, but all of us are called to something. All of us. So my question to you is, what are you called to do? Are you living out that calling? And also, to some this morning, you may feel called to be a mother, a wife, a husband, a caregiver. Whatever it may be, all of us are called to do something and to be something. But here's what I want you to see. All who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord were called to do so, what did you do? Tell me, church, what did you do to deserve your salvation? What does the Bible say you did to deserve your salvation? Absolutely nothing for you who are a believer in Jesus Christ, you were lucky than the you are more lucky than the person that won the most biggest lottery ever given out because all of that money that they that are given To people that win the lottery, you think, boy, I'd like to try that. But think about it. Every bit of that money that is offered to that person, however big it may be, they had to buy a ticket for it. It's something that they had to do. And at the end of their life, it will not save them. And in one day, it will all burn. But you, as a believer, who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you became a Christian Yes, because you prayed to receive Christ, but the only way you could have done that is if you were drawn to him. If you were called to him. Just as we see in our passage today, because John's account of the calling of the disciples, it differs a little bit from that of Mark's. And so some people would say, "Uh uh-huh, you've got two different Time frames. You've got two different stories and two different Gospels, so there must be errors in the Bible. But I want to assure you that that is not the case, because what we see here is we see two pieces of the puzzle being put together. And we see that what we're studying today is John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. And if you want to get the other side of the calling of the disciples, you can go to Mark chapter 1, Verses 16 through 20. Two different authors, two different times with the same subject. So instead of saying that there are errors here, what I would say is that these are not two separate things that conflict with one another, but they are two renditions of the calling of the disciples that when you join them together, you see a 3D picture. Of what the true calling was. Because in Mark, you see that he called the disciples and they dropped their nets and they followed him. But in John's account, not only do you see the calling, but you see the conversion beforehand. You see, not only that they dropped their nets, but you see how they came to know Christ. And that's why I'm so excited to be able to preach this passage today. Because folks, God has called you. Think about this. God has called you to be in this worship service today. Some of you could have looked out the window and said, Oh boy, we're going to be snowed in. And a lot of people did, and, and, all, and many churches around here. Boy, preacher, it's snowing in March. Well, a lot of people chose to stay in, and some of them had to. They had legitimate reasons, whether it be you know, fearing of falling or, or can't drive and all this kind of things. Look, I understand that. I'm not, I'm not railing against those who didn't come to church. But what I am saying is that it would have been very easy to say, "Eh, I'm going to roll over and hit the snooze button because I've already lost an hour. Boy, was that not terrible. (laughs) And you never get that hour back, right? But I tell you what, I'm praising God that it was on a Sunday morning because I was excited to be here with God's people, to have breakfast with some brothers in Christ, to study the Word with some of our young adults, and to be with you sweet folks today. And I hope that you were encouraged in just the same way because we were all called called to be here. You realize, in this moment in time, this might be the one service where God wants to wreck and change your life. This might be your last church service. We don't know. Every service, every time, is a special divine call that God gives us. So take heart today, folks, and be encouraged, because as we look at this passage, we're going to see that Jesus calls different types of men and women in many different ways. Isn't it good to know that there's not a a cookie-cutter approach on how you're supposed to come to Christ? Now, don't get me wrong, I, I do believe that there is only one way to, to Jesus Christ and that's through placing your faith in him and repenting of your sins. So so the 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 means of coming to Christ is dead set. He says I'm the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. But isn't it amazing to know that you could sit down in a room of people and you could have a biker that was in the hell's angels that came to Christ and on the other end of the meeting you could have someone who was raised in church and been a Christian all their lives. Or you could have one person that found Jesus in a jail cell. Another person that found Jesus while they were in the gutter. Another person that found Jesus when they were fighting a war for our nation. I mean, you got all these different stories about how people came to Christ. And I'm sure if you were to sit down and, and we would all be open enough to be able to tell everyone how we came to know Christ, we would be amazed at some of the stories that we hear. But in today's scripture, we see some lessons for evangelism. And I'm going to give you kind of the, the three main prong approach. This is evangelism 101. Evangelism. Evangelism is, is sharing the good news. That, what, that is what evangelism means. It's amazing now, especially in the tech industry and in the business industry. You know what they call people that go out and endorse products and push products for companies? They call them product evangelists. They've got it. No, I can't make that up. That's serious. I was watching a tech show one day and said, "Oh, this is so and so. They are a, a an Apple evangelist." I'm like, "Wow!" But yeah, I mean, that's what the world calls someone who has a message, and we have the best message of all. And so, what we're going to see today is how people, how four people were converted to Christ. And this is what we can do even today. The first thing we're going to see is they came to Jesus through the preached word, which is you're here today and people, maybe many of you in here, came to know Christ because of a preacher that has said something to you or you walked down the aisle or you, or you met them at your house or somehow you heard the word preached and you said that is what I need. That's one way to reach people. Another way is through the shared word. We're going to see one person, their life was changed, and they went and told another person they cared about. So you've got the preached word, you've got the shared word, and then finally you have the searching word. We're going to see one of the disciples that was not even on the radar, but Jesus sought them out. Understand this, that if you are a Christian, it is not by your own merit. There is a mystery of God's sovereignty and God's call that has brought you to that point. So we see in the preached word the power of the preached word. We see the shared word, which is basically the power of your testimony. And we see the power of Jesus drawing men and women unto himself. So we must remember, though, as I said a moment ago, though there are many ways to evangelize, there is only one message. And what do we call that, folks? We call that the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, and he died for your sin and my sin on the cross, and that he rose again. He beat death and he beat hell because he had to pay the penalty of our sin. And one day he is coming back to bring us unto himself. Did I use any fancy words? Did I use any fancy scriptures? I just told the gospel story. Anybody that's got a pulse could do that. I remember back in the day, the old Geico commercials, where they would always say, it's so easy, a caveman can do it. Even cavemen would would scribble on walls and tell their stories out. We can share the word, and we could be drawn. So let's jump into the text. We see first that Jesus invites you to come and see. Jesus invites you to... To come and see. No one in here was forced to be a Christian. No one in here had a gun pointed to their head and say, either you accept Christ or you're going to die. No, it wasn't like that. There are cults and there are false religions that require that of their members. Do you want to join this this this, this cult? Do you want to enjoy this belief system? Well, if you do that, uh, if you don't, you're going to die. Even today, there are Christians that are being forced to choose between what God has done in their lives or to give their lives because someone else wants to persecute them. It goes on still today. But in verses 35 through 37, let's read. It says, the following day, we had just studied two weeks ago when I was here about John the Baptist and the work that he did. So now we pick up the story. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. So this is John. John the Baptist, and remember, his message was there is a Messiah, there is a Christ that is coming. So we had John and two of his disciples, two of his go-to guys that were with him. I promised myself I wasn't going to get emotional at this part. But verse 36 is one of the most beautiful verses to me. In the entire Bible, and let me tell you why. You have John the Baptist who has spent his life preparing the way for the Messiah. And then we see in verse 36 as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. There is the Lamb of God. Everything that I have taught you folks, everything that I have devoted my life to, He is here in this place. And they saw finally the fulfillment of what God had told them so long ago. And let me tell you today, that for you, through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is here today and I would tell you and I would invite the Holy Spirit to come. And behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin that that, that made me in a pew like you one day. And it clicked. And I understood that I was in the presence of the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God is living and that He is here today. And John had the blessing of introducing Him to the world and saying, Behold, here is the Lamb of God. Man, fires me up. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. They didn't do a poll survey. They didn't do a plus and minus profit loss statement. They didn't inventory their life and decide whether it was worth it or not. They didn't look at John and say, well, John, I hear this is the guy that you've been telling us about. Should we really go with him? We really love you and we want to be part of your little cult, but or not cult, but your little group. And, And do we really want to go with them? No. They saw the Lamb of God, and they followed Him. Point blank. No regrets. They dropped everything. And John gladly said, follow your Savior. It says that when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Folks, as we look at this passage, God calls all different types of people. Of the two disciples that are not mentioned, it is believed one of them was John, the author of this book. And the second one was a man named Andrew. So we have a historian and we have a realist in Andrew. You see, Jesus changed his life. So obviously he wanted to share it with someone he loved. So he went to his brother, Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter, he's a piece of work. He's a hothead. He's got a short temper. Maybe he was redheaded. I don't know. But, but he's the kind of guy that would, he would say, Hey, y'all, watch this, and then just do something dumb. He's the kind of person that would act and then think about it. He's the same impulsive disciple out a sword. He was a fisherman. He didn't know how to use a sword. But he pulled that heavy sword out and cut a soldier's ear off. He didn't know what he was doing, he just had to do something. So impulsive, so reckless. So indecisive, yet so committed and still called. And then we have Philip, who was a skeptic. He questioned Jesus, but yet God called him, or Jesus went to him. Nathaniel, who was a man of integrity and a man of faith, is called. And we'll look about that in just a second. But the point here is that God can use you as you are, with your personality, with your traits, with your hang-ups, God can use you this morning because Jesus is calling you as you are and where you are today. Jesus is calling you as you are and where you are today. Folks, you don't have to clean up to take a bath. He, all of your quirks, your insecurities, he says, you, come follow me. But i got to do this, i got to do that. You Remember the, the rich young ruler? Jesus said, follow me. And the rich young ruler said, I, I've got to bury my father. And he said, you let the, the dead bury the dead. You come with me or you walk away. And he walked away, and the Bible says he walked away and he was sad. John the Baptist presented the truth that was revealed by Jesus as the Lamb of God. And again, verse 36 just blows my mind. Look, there is a Lamb of God. The, only, the, the, the closest experience that I could think that would be of when John said, Behold, the Lamb of God will be that day when the sky splits and Jesus Christ comes back, not as a suffering servant, but a reigning king. And that sky will split and the dead in Christ will rise and those that are alive will be transformed and everything that we have studied and everything that we would be given our life for, we can say, behold, the Lamb of God who has taken away our sin. It'll be that same type of moment. And I cannot wait for that moment because our tears will be wiped away. Our mourning will be turned to joy. Our relationships will be eternal. And our focus will be worshiping and praising the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God who took away your sins and mine. But as we see here, the revelation of who Jesus is always comes with an invitation to follow him. When you realize who Jesus is, when Jesus reveals himself to you, as he revealed himself to the disciples, he leaves you with the question and he says, come and follow me. And it's up to you and it's up to me what we do with that calling. The second thing we see is that Jesus' calling requires us to examine our motives. Examine our motives. Verses 38 through 42 say this. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? (laughs) They wanted to know where he lived. And he said, come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon, and they went with him to a place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Anytime we see a name change in the Bible, it is significant of their character being changed. Upon the first meeting of Simon Peter with Jesus, he was transformed into the disciple we know as Peter. Jesus saw in Peter what Peter couldn't see in himself. And what is the simple thing that his brother Andrew did? He invited him to come meet Jesus. We sit around and we talk about why people aren't at church. We fuss about how bad times are today. But yet, we never invite someone to church. Just like Andrew invited Simon Peter. We say, well, you don't understand, Pastor. Everybody I know goes to church. I understand that. But are you mean to tell me in your daily life, you never run into anybody that could use an invite to church? I would challenge you to say you're just not looking in the right places. Because if we are sincere in our faith, that we say in the morning, God, give me an opportunity to share my faith. He will. He'll do that. But we have to be ready and put ourselves out there. But the piercing question is, he asked them, what do you want? What do you want? You see there were many that were following Jesus. He was he was very popular during those days. Philippians 2:21, Paul talks about it and he says, "All the other care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ." There were many, there were many people that followed Jesus Christ so they could get a a little bit of the action. Maybe they had a family member that was sick. Maybe they needed a miracle. Maybe they just enjoyed being part of the in crowd at that time. There were many people that followed Jesus because of what he did, but there were very few people that followed him because of who he was. We see that even at Easter when we celebrate how he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and people say, uh, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory in the highest. And, and we, we praise his name in palm branches and just a few days later, crucify him. Folks, every one of you in here, including myself, is seeking something today. Your question today is, why do I follow Jesus? Or to some it might be, why don't I follow Jesus? Because everyone is seeking something. And Jesus desires to be followed, not with lip service, not with seat service. Don't, don't get me wrong. I appreciate you being here at church. And so does Jesus. But if it's just to fill a pew, it's the wrong reason. Bottom line is, Jesus is Lord. And we follow him because he is that Lord and he, he has control over our lives. And he, they ask him, where are you staying? Where do you dwell? Isn't it amazing to know that Jesus Christ was God incarnate? In other words, he was God with skin and he is dwelling among us. And then he says in verse 39, what does he say? Come and see. He didn't say, oh yeah, check Google Maps or or I'm the third tent to the left down the road. Where do you stay, Jesus? He says, you, come and see. Come and see. Jesus issued the greatest invitation anyone could ever receive. To come and see. And there are many people that are skeptical of Jesus today. And he would tell them the same thing. You got questions? Come and see. Jesus invites you today to come and see, to see who he is, and to see the plans that he has for your life. And he says, follow me and I will show you things that you never could imagine. Then we see in verse 41, people who are satisfied with Jesus will share him with others. Remember, Andrew was so satisfied with with. With Jesus, said he, he switched his allegiance from John the Baptist to Jesus, and then he had to go tell his brother. Folks, if Jesus has truly changed our life, why are we going to keep it to ourselves? Your faith shared in love will change the lives of others and advance Jesus' kingdom. And I know, I know, I know... The absolute hardest people to witness to are family members, are they not? What if they don't like me? What if they get mad? Or, you know, they know what I, how I act and how are they going to respond to that? doesn't matter. Andrew just knew this. He loved Jesus so much that he wanted to share it. Never underestimate the invitation to a church service. Never underestimate the opportunity to invite someone to a Bible study class because you never know. It might be that that Bible study class. It might be that sermon. It might be that concert. It might be something that will prompt the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. And the third thing we see is that we follow Jesus for who he is. We follow Jesus for who he is. It says in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And here's the key phrase. He found Philip. He found Philip. Remember where I talked about the different types of evangelism? He sought out Philip. There was no friend talking to a friend. It says, he found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses or the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And I love Nathaniel's comment. He said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? He, he was that, that curmudgeon. You mean he's from Anderson? Does anything come at good come out of Anderson? That's like when, when I told Mom and Dad we were going to move here and, and pastor in church here. Oh, Anderson? They have all those shootings. We moved down here, and all the shootings are in Spartanburg. It's <laughs> all perspective, isn't it? But but he wasn't trying to be mean. But he had a, a real question: what What good can can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything is anything redeemable about that? He said, "I love." Philip said, "This come see for yourself." He replied, as they ex- approached Jesus. Jesus said, "Now here is a genius." A genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Some translations translate "a man with no guile," but it basically means he's a man of integrity. How do you know about me, Nathaniel asked? And this, this is where Nathaniel gets his mind blown. Jesus replied, "I could see you under the fig tree before Philip even found you." Then Nathaniel exclaimed, "Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel." By by, him, by Nathaniel calling Jesus rabbi, he was calling him teacher. He was basically saying, you are Lord. And Nathaniel had the, the privilege of proclaiming him in scriptures as the king of Israel, the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Folks, we see in this passage Jesus is big enough for our questions. Nathaniel asked a very, I guess you could say, understandable question. Who is this guy? Can anything come good come out of that? If if you are here today and you have questions about Jesus or who Jesus is, it looks like to me in Scripture, Jesus is okay with your questions because he doesn't mind answering them. You got questions, you got hang-ups, you got gripes. Well, he's big enough for that. He can answer those, he can be patient with those, and he can give you the answers that you need. He said Nathaniel was a highly respected Jewish man. Of integrity. So can you imagine that all of a sudden, all of these things that he studied and known throughout his life came true? And I know it's easy to go into Sunday school mode or Bible study mode and and think about, oh, well, that's sweet, let's move on. But think about this. What are you going to think when the sky splits and Jesus Christ comes back? Oh, that's great. I remember my Bible study teacher telling me about this. Oh, I remember all them sermons I had to sit through. No, when the sky splits and we see Jesus Christ come back in all of his glory, we're going to be like, Woohoo! take me, Lord. It's going to be an exciting time to where all of these things that we have studied, we have sung about, and we have dedicated our life to will come true. It will be an exciting time. And Nathaniel and these disciples had that moment in their lives. But for the sinner, I want you to know that Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. And that in the midst of your lost condition, he sees you sitting under the tree. Wherever you're at, Jesus sees you. And to those of you that are believers, when you witness and share the gospel with someone, what do we see here? When Philip goes to share the gospel with Nathaniel, when Andrew goes to share the gospel with his brother Peter, God's already been working on him. So if God impresses upon your heart to share your faith or share the gospel message that I shared with you just a few moments ago, or if you can just sit him down over coffee and say, let me tell you what God is doing in my life. Or tell me about how I can pray for you. Are those big controversial questions? No. But you sit down with somebody and if God prompts you to talk to somebody, that means he's already been working on that person. He'll never call you for an ambush. He's always at work. So we follow Jesus because he says here, there are greater things to come. And I'm going to close with this illustration. You've probably heard before, but but just humor me, okay? There was a woman who had been diagnosed with a deadly illness and had been given three months to live. So she was getting her things in order. She contacted her pastor and had him come over to her house to discuss certain aspect of her final arrangements. And so she told him which songs that she wanted sung at the service and and what scripture she wanted him to use and, and what outfit she wanted to be buried in. She was getting all of this taken care of. But the woman also told her pastor that she wanted to be buried with her favorite Bible. So everything was in order. And then as they were about to close the meeting, she said, oh, pastor, there's just one more thing. She said excitedly, and the pastor said, well, what's that? She said, this is very important to me, and I'm not joking. And she said, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. A fork in my right hand. The pastor stood looking at the woman, not knowing quite what to say. And he said, well, wow. And the woman said, that surprises you, doesn't it? The pastor said, well, absolutely it does. I've done a lot of funerals. I've never seen someone with a, a fork in their right hand. Well, to be honest, I'm puzzled at the request, the pastor said. The woman explained, in all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, I always remember that the best dishes of the main course were being cleared. Someone would inevitably lean over and say, you can keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew something better was coming. The velvety chocolate cake, or the deep dish apple pies, oh man, we need to have a fellowship right now, because <laughs> y'all can cook and bake, but yeah, she knew she she needed to hold on to that fork, so she thought about the cake and the pies, and something wonderful with substance is what she thought, and then so she said to the pa- the pastor, so I just want people to see me there in the casket." with a fork in my hand, and I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? Then I want you to tell them, Pastor, keep your fork, because the best is yet to come. Just as he called the disciples, those disciples had no idea what they were getting into And you may be struggling here today. Or you may be strong in your faith. Wherever you may be, whatever situation you're in, the best is yet to come with Jesus Christ. So we see here that what have or will you do when Jesus calls you to follow Him? Just like these disciples. John and Andrew gave Jesus their life because He fulfilled theirs. Andrew loved Jesus enough to share with his brother and his family, what Jesus had done. Jesus found Philip, just like Jesus can find you this morning wherever you're at. Jesus fulfilled Nathanael, and Jesus holds out greater things for you today. Who will you follow? And whatever your answer, where do you see see it leading you? Who will you follow, and where do you see them leading you? My prayer is that you would follow Jesus today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the fact that you called these men and gave us a glimpse of how loving and how accepting and how you can use people of different backgrounds, Lord, to accomplish your purpose. And Lord, it's my prayer if there's one person here that does not know you as their Savior and Lord and they they have felt conviction this morning from your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, if it be your will, they would walk forward at this time and we'll pray with them and we'll lead them in the sinner's prayer and we'll disciple them and we'll show them what it means to be a true believer in Christ so that the same hope that these that are called have, they can have that same hope. Maybe there's a believer here that just wants to come and pray with me or at the altar. Maybe someone would like to join the church. Either way, Lord, may you work in this time. And you'll get all the glory, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and come if you'd like to make a decision.